Comic Book Tales is an immersive comic book experience for the new or lapsed comic book fan. I take a closer look at the comics that shaped my childhood and influenced my adulthood. Comic books are an amazing entry into another world and even provide the pictures to complete the fantasy. Join me for a new Comic Book Tales adventure. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show, episode three of Comic Book Tales, season two. Um, last time I left off, I was talking about Jim Shooter. Now, Jim Shooter was, he was creative, he was there before, you know, he was there with Stan, he was there um, really in the trenches trying to make things happen at Marvel, uh, but suddenly found himself as the editor-in-chief. And, you know, outside of Stan, and Stan didn't have the title editor-in-chief, but he had it for the longest run in Marvel's history, uh, Jim was the second longest, and, and he spanned from the mid-70s to the mid-80s. And Jim did a lot of good things. He kind of brought some stability to the bullpen. Now, we talked about that in the last season, about Stan's soapbox and the bullpen that really didn't exist as Stan described it. It was a fantasy made up, and it got people to feel a connection to Marvel, make mine Marvel, the Mar- Marvelous Marching Society. It was all that around that that made the bullpen and really what brought Jim Shooter to New York City from Pittsburgh because he had read those you know, Stan's soapbox and he'd read the bullpen, uh, bullpen bulletins. He knew what was going into that and the reality didn't match up to the fantasy, but he stuck around. Uh, and Jim was very, very tall. It's an aside that really doesn't have anything to do with the story, but extremely tall. I believe he was 6'7". Uh, so he towered over everybody else in the office, uh, which probably gave him a, a, an imposing figure um, in that office. But nonetheless, it, it was really just he was the right person at the right time for a time. And why do I say that? Well, Stan had kind of Stanley had kind of moved on uh, to California, was trying to get deals done with um, Hollywood. He really wanted to see Marvel properties. On the big screen or the small screen, it didn't matter. Just get him out there. Um, I told last episode he had four thousand properties. He he was willing to sell. He was taking out ads in trade organizations or trade magazines, trying to get them get the Marvel word out there outside of the the children. And for the longest time, it really wasn't working. And I think a lot of that wasn't Stan's fault, and it wasn't even Hollywood's fault. It was the fact that to do the stories right, the technology didn't exist. Um, we saw the 1970s Bat, uh, Spider-Man uh, TV show, which was made into a series of TV movies. It was awful. It, it was downright awful. Um, but that's the best they could get. The Incredible Hulk on, on TV was changed a little bit, and it did okay. I watched it as a child, but it, it didn't really require too much in the way of special effects, but... Can you imagine the Avengers in 1975? They're just, it didn't exist. The technology to do that right did not exist, and the practical effects were not going to happen. You weren't, nobody was going to spend that kind of money needed to do a practical effects movie uh, of the Avengers in 1975. They're just, it was never going to recoup its box office, so its budget, so there was no point. So Stan was kind of screaming into the wind trying to get things done, but he was out in California, and Jim Shooter takes over and again he brings stability he brings a business-like approach 
to running the Marvel Comics division. And he, he works and liaises well with the accountants and the people put over him by the magazine division. People are really looking at the bottom line going, we need more money, make more money, make more money. And that's what he did for them. He made money for the organization. And the creative types don't always like that, as I said before. And they started to resent Jim and Jim's dictates and Jim's ideas. Um, and frankly, Jim thought very highly of himself. He, he began to think very highly of his abilities and his thoughts. And that's a dangerous thing. When somebody thinks that their opinion is the only one that matters, you start to lose perspective. And Jim started to lose perspective. And he made dictates that probably weren't in the best interest of Marvel, even though they probably sounded like they were. But it was an advancing of Jim and Jim's agenda. And a lot of that had to do with, I'm going to tell you how I want this written. I'm going to tell you how the story should go. I'm going to tell you how I want some conflict. Um, you know, we, we're we going to do this because that's what I want. Uh, hanging over their heads was Stan Lee, still nominally the publisher of Marvel Comics, who kept saying, things can change, just not a lot, and they have to revert back. And Jim started to echo that. So you saw in the mid-70s to the mid-80s, they'd have these events or they'd have something that, you know, was devastating and then it would resolve itself in an issue or two and be back to normal. Um, like nothing ever happened. Like the the status quo didn't change dramatically and if even if it did, it didn't. And what you got was some stagnant entertainment. Um, most people don't point to the early 80s or really look at the 80s at all as create as a very creative time for Marvel. DC had some hits. Marvel had some hits, but you know, as a as a company, they were very stagnant. You had some of the Frank Miller stuff with Daredevil um that really changed that character and changed it for the better, but that was a one-off. There wasn't a lot of that going on. Uh and that was due to Jim Shooter. You know, he thought he had inherited something he didn't have and he wanted to create it in his image and he realized he couldn't do that. Uh, and eventually it didn't work. But Jim was trying. Jim was trying. And why do I say he was the best thing and the worst thing? He brought stability when he needed stability, but he created upheaval upon his exit. Uh, he created he created secret wars, but it was a t- he didn't really create it. He, he was given a mandate from above to create a toy tie-in that kind of fizzled and didn't actually happen the way it was supposed to. But he created the 12, 12 issues of Secret Wars. And that was really the first true miniseries of any significance in the Marvel Universe in, in comics. Um, and as we will see, that wasn't a good thing. <laughs> That wasn't necessarily a positive um, for for Marvel or for you know comics in general. Um, but as as the '80s dawned and progressed, you still had this work for hire still hanging out there, still people railing for for Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko. They deserve. They deserve. They deserve. Um, and it was it was not going away. It was just not going. Away. It reminds me 
not anywhere near the same level of significance, but it reminds me about um, slavery in the United States from the founding of the country up until the Civil War. Just the issue didn't go away. They kept kicking the can down the road, and it just didn't go away because it couldn't go away. It hadn't been resolved. And the work-for-hire thing had not been resolved. Again, Band-Aids placed on a a gaping wound to try to get it to the next stage, hoping that was enough. Well, we'll start to give back some artwork. We'll start to, but you can't use it in certain ways that we don't give permission. Uh, You know, we're going to pay a little bit more than we were. We're going to give you a spiff on the back end of, of books that sell. You know, so incentive to get you to write books that would sell. We talked about in the last episode, some of these books didn't sell. They might have been very creative, but they weren't selling. Now, here was an incentive to sell and to make money. And what happened in that situation was you had artists and writers making commercially successful books, but they weren't real interesting. You had that stagnation again because they might bump up for a... a, a you know, certain event, but then they come back down to normal. So they were constantly trying to up the ante, trying to one up the the use of whatever uh, to goose sales because it would make them money. So the incentive was to make money, which the parent company loved, but as a as a reader and as the loyal followers, it didn't it didn't work for us because we weren't getting good quality. You know, again, deadlines were being missed even under Jim Shooter. Deadlines are being missed and fill in artists and fill in editors because they just couldn't get anything working. Or you'd see this random story thrown in in the middle of something, and it's because they didn't have anybody to fill in that month. And they had to put something out. So they'd pull out this random story, which is totally written by somebody else, drawn by somebody else, but it fit. It just went in the, the book, and now it became canon. So all that happened, and, and Jim alienated a lot of people. A lot of people left because of Jim Shooter. Um, they didn't, they didn't match with him, and he was very hard on the writers and the the artists. And he made he made life at Marvel much less fun uh, than it had been. Now, was it a business? Yeah. And are some of these people crying, sad tears? Sure. Should they? I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know what the work environment was like. But as I recognize, most creative types tend to be very sensitive. So you can say something to one person and they don't care. You say it to a creative person and they get all uptight and and complain and unhappy. So it's really a matter of perception as to how that came about. But Jim led them down a certain path and much like in, I use football analogies, much like in football, you when you have a, a an ownership's coach, the next coach you get has to be a player's coach because the players are revolting. They need somebody who gets them. And then you have a player's coach for a while, and then they're too soft, and the team's not disciplined, and you got to have an owner's coach again. So that's the same thing happening here. Jim became what he was perceived as a toady of management, and he was resented, even though he had been one of them and still was it to a point. He was still editing books and writing books. He just wasn't enough. He just wasn't enough, and it needed to change. The, the work environment was no longer conducive. Um, so it, 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 there was a need for a change and the change wasn't necessarily the right change, uh, but it was a change and it was a change for, uh, not for good, uh, not because the person, the people, 
that they put in charge were bad, but they just weren't the right people to move into the 90s. Um, so we'll talk about that next time. Oh, sorry, two times, two episodes from now. Next time we're going to talk about the epic line and what that meant and what it tried to do and kind of what it didn't do. Um, so we'll talk about that next episode. Uh, join me then, and two episodes from now we will talk about entering the 90s and the, the beginning of the end. So thank you for joining me. Uh, I'm Chad. I'll talk to you soon. This has been a Hannah Tree production.